Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. I'm Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm excited to welcome Jen McGowan-Tomkey, Chief Operating Officer at NAMI Chicago, to discuss addressing mental health through a social equity lens. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here with you, Sam. And I'm just excited to dive in today's discussion. We are highlighting behavioral health this quarter. It is one of our quality healthcare pillars. So it's something near and dear to us both at I'm hip, but then of course, you know, I think professionally and personally, we all have navigated this, you know, mental health space. And NAMI is really just one of those bright lights in the space. And so I'm just excited to talk about what NAMI Chicago is doing and the challenges and opportunities you've encountered as we're sort of shifting um, caused by the pandemic. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, We are, uh, as uh, NAMI Chicago, so happy to be talking with you today and also sharing a little bit more about our work and, you know, I think some really interesting experiences and reflections um, during the pandemic and where we are now. But as an organization, again, we're the National Alliance on Mental Illness, we're the Chicago affiliate of NAMI, but there are NAMIs all over the country and all over Illinois. Um, but NAMI Chicago um, is unique in some of our programming. Our work is in mental health advocacy, um, and we do that through several different lenses, but by working with people individually to navigate the mental health system, being advocates in their personal experiences and also from a system perspective, um, training and education around discrimination related to mental health conditions and um, a real focus on recovery and support and peers in this space and what it means to kind of work together towards recovery. Um, But one of our major programs is our helpline that is um, available seven days a week, um, nine to eight, Monday through Friday, nine to five, Saturdays and Sundays. And it was where we really felt the pandemic at the beginning of 2020. Um, Our call volume increased 200% in those first three months. Um, It is pretty much sustained since then. So we we were all hands on deck, really connecting with people. And I'll tell you, because we're talking from sort of social equity perspective today, people were calling about basic needs. They were calling about food security. They were calling about housing. They were, um, you know, I think a sort of population of people who were maybe just getting by Um, at the beginning of the pandemic and then had their work or their family ties kind of ripped out from under them. And it was really focused on getting the immediate supports that people needed. And we've sort of shifted from from that, but that has such a huge impact on people's wellness, right? The ability to provide food for your family, the ability to Um, be safe in a home environment or have somewhere to stay. And that was really impacting folks, but the immediate thing they needed was just food and shelter, right? Like couldn't even really get into that. The the sort of next phase for the next year of the pandemic was really about dealing with that trauma. It was dealing with grief, dealing with that experience. And that was certainly what we um, started to hear on our helpline. And now I think we're in a space where people like aren't sure when 
things are going to shift again. There's still a certain amount of uncertainty, a certain amount of unsteadiness. And I think growing um, experiences of depression and anxiety kind of coming out of where we were. Oh, so much there, so much to unpack because I, and I just want to like underscore this. We're just, it's the human experience. And it was, it is one where we really have put people to through the ringer over the last few years. And I think when we think of the pandemic or when we think of public policy or advocacy, it's easy to think about it in the aggregate. But really, we're talking about individual people, individual families who had the rug basically ripped out from underneath them. And they are looking for help. Because if, of course, if you can't feed your children, you are stressed, anxious, depressed. Of course, if you don't know where you're going to sleep tomorrow night, you are anxious, stressed, and depressed. And of course, you're going to look for help. And what I want to make sure I heard right is that your call volume increased 200% beginning 2020, and it sustained or really plateaued as that level. Is that what I heard? Yes. So we took um, 13,000 phone calls last year um, from the Chicagoland area. And, you know, we're sort of on pace to do that or just slightly under, but that was compared to 6,000 calls that we took in 2019. So, you know, it was, we really value showing up for our community at NAMI Chicago. And that can mean just being a listening ear on the phone, or it can mean helping to navigate finding a provider for mental health care. Um, but it really required us to think about our workforce and the capacity that we had to really do that um, and make an investment in NAMI Chicago's workforce over the pandemic to be able to meet that need. And I raise that because I think workplace wellness also has been a big focal point um, during the pandemic and since. Um, and that is an area where we've found ourselves, you know, playing an expert role in how we treat our workforce in this space with either with growing capacity needs or, and we know that in the behavioral health provider space, right? Or with shifting expectations from hybrid environments back to inverse environments, back to remote environments, all of that is tough. Um, and so that's a, a place that NAMI Chicago does some work around training and consultation about really trying to keep our workforce healthy. That's so great. And it's just such a wonderful reminder that we're not done with it yet, right? Like not only are people still needing help, but now as we transition and retransition and maybe transition one more time, and you know, we are we are constantly having to adapt, and that brings out stress and um, can exacerbate mental health needs. You know, can you talk a little bit more? So, so you highlighted it in your opening about you know social equity and how the social determinants of health were really driving your the outreach the calls coming to NAMI weren't about necessarily you know sort of traditional mental health a lot of it was driven by just human needs and basics can you talk about what it looks like to address mental health from a social equity lens i think it really shifts our perspective on the medicalized model of behavioral health to think about what it actually means to be well and at NAMI Chicago, we've adopted the um, sort of federal framework around this of health, home, purpose, and community. But we find that if you're just thinking about those pillars 
um, of what contributes to mental health and you're not thinking about equity within those pillars, we continue to create disparities, right? So um, the, the things that we know to be true about encouraging wellness um, for ourselves and our community is that you need to have access to health, right? You need to have access to your primary care providers and your mental health providers and medication and whatever that means, the, the traditional medical model, but that's only one part, right? We've just talked about home, what it means to have a safe and steady house and a safe and steady community and how that contributes to our feelings of wellness. We also have to have purpose. And this is, I think, one of the places that the recovery movement has really helped um, illuminate is that whatever that means, whether that's our job, our social life, our connection to family and community, having that purpose is um, foundational to feeling well and secure for ourselves. But then we also have to have community. And that's one of the biggest pillars that the pandemic ripped away, right? That social support um, that uh, is so important and had been frayed um, when we couldn't be in community with folks. That's a piece that we have to invest in to make sure that we feel well. I mean, we, as, as parents, right, we have a community that supports us in caring for our kids, often with childcare or with whatever it looks like, the park district, whatever it is, right? That, that is community and it helps us feel stable as parents, for example, and individuals. Um, so all of those things are truly important, but we know all of them um, are influenced by access. And if we don't think about equity in access to providers, right? Our provider network may look very different if we live in one community versus another community. If we don't encourage access to housing or build systems and policies that create equitable access to housing, then people will inherently feel unsafe. And so I think when we talk about like, what does it mean to infuse social equity in behavioral health? It's by elevating the discussion of equity and access in these pillars that we know are the foundations of wellness. I love that because in my mind, if you are not thinking about equity, if you're not thinking about the disparities that exist, you're missing the point and your interventions are going to leave people behind because they cannot possibly or purposefully address shortcomings um, if they're not worked into the strategy and the solution, right? Like we purposefully created as a society, an inequitable society. If we're going to break that down and we're going to bring up, you know, we're going to bring equality and equity, it has to be purposeful. Absolutely. And part of that intention, right, is recognizing where there have been deeper disparities and in what communities. And that often means that the um, approach or intervention has to be much more significant. That's exactly right. And one of those areas, one of those communities, of course, there's the justice involved or forensic population with mental health needs. You know, I can't think of an area or a population that probably has, you know, more mental health needs and where um, access, you know, and disparities are just visible everywhere you look, you know, in terms of challenges. Can you talk a little bit more about what NAMI has done um, in serving that population? Absolutely. And I think this is such an important time to be having a conversation about the connection between mental health and the criminal court space as we are embarking on a federal initiative to um, create a more comprehensive um, crisis system through the introduction of the 988 call number um, that's rolling out in July. And um, it, that's, a, that's a national picture, but in Illinois, we're responsible for creating those crisis systems. And so NAMI Chicago has worked in this space for a long time. We've particularly done work with the Chicago Police Department 
to try from a training perspective and a policy perspective, ensure that um, if officers are going to respond to mental health crises, they have some knowledge of de-escalation and mental health when they do that. And, and from a policy perspective, we've worked for a long time to try to um, ensure that law enforcement is not the first responders in this system, right? So that means building up mental health um, crisis capacity um, and providers to, to support doing that work, but also making those policy connections within the crisis system. So I think what's important to know about the sort of changing environment in the um, crisis space in Illinois is that it's really um, driving towards three pillars, someone to call, someone to respond, and somewhere to go. And frankly, in each of those spaces, we have a long way to go um, because someone to call right now is often 911. Um, but again, this rollout of the 988 call center will link people more closely to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline starting in July. But we have a whole system transformation that we're working towards. I, it's definitely not going to be done in, in July of 2022. We're talking about, you know, a multi-year, multi-phase approach to building the system, but it's hugely important both from an equity perspective and from a, what is the right response in a mental health crisis? Like, what do people need? And that answer is varied. Sometimes they may just need someone to talk to and to connect with and do some safety planning with or just have a listening ear. But they also may need somewhere, someone to respond to them, right? There may need to be an intervention um, that we, you know, can think of as aligning with like urgent care. That doesn't exist in the mental health space right now, really. Um, and then there is somewhere to go because we know that with any other health condition, you may need to see someone and you may need to see someone and, and be able to stay. There's so many options for how we do this. The recovery focus. Um, the peer intervention model is, um, is I think, really important here. So there's great, great opportunity with the system shifting. And, and you know, in July, when, when folks call 988, they will get a response from the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And, um, and that is going to be very important. And then, and then we'll need to build from there. I think one other thing about the criminal court system is that at, on our helpline, we've long interacted with people who are connected to the either law enforcement or the criminal court space or cycling in and out of hospitalizations. And the kind of big picture here is that we need to be able to stabilize in a different way. We need our um, system to respond to the um, support that people need and the length of stay they might need in order to be stabilized to try to break that cycle of, of hospitalization that occurs and occurs. And once that happens, you're more likely to then engage with the court system, right? You're more likely to be um, connected to law enforcement and then end up being served um, in the jail or prison system. And what we know in Cook County is that at least two thirds of people who are in the, the um, Cook County jail identify as having a mental health condition or a substance use disorder. It's a huge population that then is either supported within that jail space, which is not the most trauma-informed space to receive care, or um, is then you know connected back into the community and often that um, support is frayed. So we we see this, we see this cyclical um, issue occurring. We also see what happens when our um, state psychiatric hospital beds are 
kind of uh, being used in a way that um, doesn't leave a lot of capacity for people who may need that longer term stabilization. And that's another space where NAMI Chicago has done both legislative advocacy and individual advocacy, trying to make sure that we are using the most community-based approach and we're getting people to the right care that they need. So much of this is prevention though, Sam. It always is in public policy. The earlier we help someone, the earlier we treat, um, the symptoms, uh, the more successful we're going to be. And, um, you know, they always say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And when we talk about mental health, um, it just couldn't be, you know, more true. Jen, I am so glad you were able to join me today. I'm so glad you were able to walk our listeners through all the great work that NAMI Chicago is doing and really think about how iterative public policy is with regards to mental health. We have this 988 call center opening up um, in less than a month. Um, are, you know, we are so excited, but it's not the end. It's just another step in a long journey towards a more equitable and accessible mental health care system. That's right. And I think um, it also sort of highlights the ways that as a provider community, we're going to need to build and grow and build our capacity in this space. And um, we need to build our workforce in this area too, right? It's a whole new um, system. And really folks have been, you know, are treated in different parts of the system now. And to, again, use your point of a more preventative system, um, the, the providers that do crisis work need to, to really be cultivated and we're going, going to need to be able to meet the needs in the community in a different way. I think that's a perfect space to end. There's more work to do. You're making progress, but more work to do. Jen, I just simply cannot thank you enough for joining us today. Um, it's been so good. And of course, it's the first of many conversations because um, there's so much to talk about. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to share with you and your listeners and we love to be here with you. Thank you again. And, and to our listeners, to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.net. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry. As Sam and Sam says, as always, thank you for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.